0: Welcome to episode two of Beyond Sunday. Um, Hey, great job uh, preaching this weekend. I thought you did really well as we tackled the topic of why can't I stop doing the things I know I shouldn't do?
1: Yeah, I said during the 11 o'clock service at the Livermore campus that every time I get to teach something like this, it's like God's hitting me over the head the whole week, like pay attention to the
0: words you're saying. So it was convicting for me and and really healthy for me, I think, but hopefully it was for everyone else. Yeah, I got a lot of good feedback. Um, It was awesome. So. Uh, thanks for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel so we can continue to push you um, content throughout the week. Um, but let's dive in. I wanted to follow up on the sermon, and then uh, there's a bunch of stuff that I know you weren't able to get to that you wanted to get to um, that we can we can talk about. Yeah,
1: so. actually, Steve Madsen was making fun of me last night because I think this is the first time I've preached over a 40-minute sermon, and... That's mm-hmm. much like Steve Matson does. And You're always, learning, he's teaching you. Yeah, not the right way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there's so much content. There was like, yeah, three or four things, big topics
0: that I would have loved to get to with this sermon that we just didn't have the time to. Awesome. Well, before we get to that, um, there was a couple I was, you know, I was thinking about you, you know, and I was. You do I, that a lot. You think yeah, I do. Me. I wanted to be helpful to you, <laughs> um, especially in relationship to this topic. You know, there was a few things that popped in my mind that you should probably stop doing. Okay. I saw that um, at the end
1: of the last uh, years in Billy's. You said I was going to list all the things that I shouldn't.
0: Yeah. And so I, ju- I just thought I'd try to be helpful for you. Okay. You know yeah, what I mean? So please. I have a couple of things that you should probably stop doing that I know you probably can't stop doing. Okay. This is that But healthy. maybe you can work on it. No, this is great. Okay. The first one. Um, and for those of you watching who haven't played basketball with Stephen Gold, you're not Steph Curry. I'm pretty close. No. You need to stop. No, you're fatter <laughs> and shorter than Steph Curry.
1: I think... I think both of those things are debatable. Steph Curry's listed at, like, 6'2", but he's probably 6, three. six feet tall. And probably fatter, not. like, I just, I'm
0: more, like, solid. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, it, for those of you who haven't played with him, he basically, if he touches the ball, he shoots the ball from, like, way beyond the three-point line. I have never seen a shot Although, to I don't g- like. Although, to give you credit, you are a good shooter. Oh, thanks, man. So, um, so okay. that you have that going for you, but you're, you're not Steph Curry. You're affirming me. You're not Steph Curry. <laughs> um, okay, here's another one. Yeah. I don't think you've ever preached a sermon without telling a story about Jericho. Uh-huh. And you can't stop doing it, can you? Why would I? You, pre- you talk about him every single sermon. He's awesome. He is pretty awesome.
1: He's so fun. He's a, he's a cool he's dude. He's hilarious. And he like, he, he evens me out. Like for all of my, you talk about basketball and how I shoot every time. I think it's because I'm a little bit arrogant, just a little bit. But Jericho humbles me. Like yeah, he brings me b- he brings me down to earth. So as does Amanda. Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely, all the time. Anyway, so I have to I have to keep sharing. I story don't know. So you awesome. should probably t- t- preach a sermon without a Jericho story. <laughs> I did. Um, know. Third. Yeah. Um, you. We went to San Diego once and. I don't know how many California burritos you ate, but you ate a lot. Five. Like you couldn't turn down a California burrito. I ate five in two days. You have an issue with that? No, they're
1: so good. They put French fries inside a burrito. Do you it's know God's um, gift to burritos?
0: Ink eighty two in Dublin has California burritos with French fries in them. Do
1: they put beans and rice in it too?
0: No. Like so, it's, it's legit. like a San Diego California burrito. Okay,
1: Ink eighty two in Dublin.
0: Yeah, check it um, out. I'm going to check it out. Who wants to go with me? I get the impression that you. Um, you, like when you're listening to someone else preach, you're checking football scores the whole time and you should probably stop doing that and fantasy football scores and updates. <laughs> you
1: get that impression. Is that true? Cause it's true. I've never seen it, but, but I just, only I get like that feeling from you. 16 weeks out of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> most of the time I'm not. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, that's true. <laughs> most of the year you're good. But yeah. Most of the time totally dialed in. Like, right. Well, happening. hopefully that's helpful for you. Can we go? I um,
0: you should have told me so I could have made a list for you. I'm doing pretty good at stuff. You know what I mean? I got, I'm pretty locked in. Yeah, it's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, to our content. So um, one of the things that, that I really enjoyed um, from your sermon was the whole concept of what we pay attention to is going to direct kind of where we go mm-hmm. and where we end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned, you referenced The Principle of the Path by Andy Stanley, and you said you wanted to talk more about that and what you learned in reading that book. Um, what do you want to pull out of that for us that you think applies here?
1: Yeah, so I read that book probably seven years ago, and it's such a simple truth that where we direct our attention, like he says in the book, where your attention goes, so goes your life. Or as your attention goes, so goes your life. And the biggest concept from the book that I loved, and again, this is such an easy thing to to grasp and to hold on to, but he says your direction, not your intention, will lead to your destination. Mm-hmm. So the things you actually do, not the things you want to do, will lead you to where you end up. So take someone who um, smokes cigarettes, for instance, like their their desire, their intention is not to get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. But if they end up getting lung cancer, it would be crazy to say, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't intend for that to happen, but the direction of their life was leading them toward that. And I think this plays out in a lot of different things. Like on the other side of that, like if you desire to be a good parent, if that's your intention, but you don't spend any time with your kids, then the direction, you can, you can desire all you want. You can intend all you want to be a good parent, but if you don't spend intentional time with your kid, then you're not going to be it's a good parent. Happen. Yeah. So, so I just love that concept and that idea. And I thought it was so, it, it held true to this question so much that like, if we're doing the things we know we shouldn't do, then it's probably because we're choosing to do things. Mm -hmm. Like we're the direction of our life. We may not want to do those things. We Mm -hmm. may not intend to do those things, but the actual direction that we're taking, the path that we're taking
0: is going to lead to a certain destination. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it. The analogy that I was thinking about that helped me was um, just the analogy of like watering a lawn. And this sounds kind of weird. It's kind of the grass is greener. You hear the grass is greener. Um, mentality of things look better somewhere else. And they kind of the come back to that as we we'll water your own lawn yeah. and the grass won't look, look greener. And I, I think about it as within me, there's the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives within me that gives me desires that are wonderful and beautiful and good. And those are my core desires. Um, but then there's also my flesh and the sin nature that we have that I'm always wrestling with that has different desires, desires that are gonna lead me down a wrong path. And for me, it's, it's almost like there's two lawns and which lawn am I watering the most um, is gonna help dictate the direction that I end up going in. Um, hmm. And what are the thing? what does watering the lawn mean for me? What are the things that water my spirit lawn Help me go in that direction. That sounds <laughs> so weird. I
1: can't, you just said water my spirit lawn. Uh-huh. It's on purpose. <laughs> it's <a thing. laughs> um, no, I get what you're saying though.
0: It's what we feed. Which one are we feeding? Which one are we watering? Or what are we paying attention to? Yeah. Would, would be the same thing. Um, and that was convicting for me. Um, and I w- as you were preaching, there was immediately a few things I was thinking of that I knew I was giving attention to, to that I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, what are those
1: things uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I think I think that I think you're right I think there's no matter what we look at it's it's when we take a step back and kind of assess where our life is and, and what we're doing um, I think the Holy Spirit convicts us in a lot of those areas and then it's pretty obvious the areas and I think that's the the end part of Proverbs 3 5 through six is um, God will direct our paths. He'll make our path straight God will make it so obvious what choice we need to make or where we need to direct our attention it's up to us though, like, we can't sit there and go, oh, my gosh, why are you letting me do this? It's, no, you're letting you do this. Mm-hmm. Choose the right path.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, you had in your notes uh, this idea of um, this concept of present versus successful when it comes to how we approach sin. Tell tell me more about what you were thinking. You didn't get to say this uh, yeah. in your sermon.
1: Yeah, I'm reading a book right now that's just um, wrecking me in a lot of great ways on contemplative prayer. And the author talks about how in our Western culture, the Western society that we live in, everything's success-driven. Like, we have to achieve, achieve, achieve. And I think we take a lot of that into our faith, where if you go back to the heart of this question, like, maybe this question's the wrong question. Why why, sh- why can't I stop doing the things I know I shouldn't be doing? Because it, Because it kind of postures itself as you can accomplish certain things, or there's something to be achieved, or there's a certain level of spirituality or or faith in God that you need to arrive at. And I think what what it comes down to is God desires more than anything else is our presence and our being with Him as He came to be with us. And that's the whole like idea of shalom is is this harmony and and peace and flourishing life with God. Hmm. And that that idea of of oh I need to check all the boxes or I need to make sure I do this and that and that. If we can take a step back from that, too, and just say, um, my goal today is to be present with God, that that prayer isn't so much something I do during the day, but it's a posture that I take throughout the day, that I'm connected with my Creator, that I'm available to and present with the God who cares about my future and cares about the direction of my life. So. I wanted to
0: get into that. But like I said, I think that took like a whole nother path. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And that's really interesting. And it's not the way I was thinking about it as I was, as I was listening to the sermon this weekend, because I think I was thinking about it more from a success-oriented standpoint of, it's almost like a numbers game for me of how, how do I reduce the amount of time I'm sinning, right? right? And it's like this success quotient of like, there's a standard to get to, and I'm not there yet. And I, I think it's easy for me to get stuck mm-hmm. in that mindset. And so that whole concept, I love that, that concept of don't approach our our, our, our battle with sin from a, like, win and succeed right. mind frame. Approach it from a be present with God mm-hmm. mind fr- mindset. Which at the same time, I think the the struggle, the, the reason this book is wrecking me so much
1: is because I do desire to sin less. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's a part of me that... Right. And I'm competitive, and, and so I want to, you know, but... But yeah, it's, I think it's it, maybe not both, like being present is, is the right approach and I think the result is less sin, less right. sin and, right. and less of that kind of capturing and
0: claiming victory over us in certain ways. So it's, it's also a more positive way to, mindset to have instead of how do, how do I stop sinning, which is focusing on a lot of the negative. It's right. like, how do I spend more time in the presence yep. of Jesus? Um, which is which is a much more positive and hopeful way of, of looking at this issue of sin that we all wrestle with.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I think too, just kind of a side note, the the whole issue, the problem of sin, if you talk to people outside of the church, they would say that the Christian worldview of sin is so pessimistic. Like mm-hmm. everyone's broken, everything's terrible, we're all destined for hell. Unless you do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's actually Timothy Keller writes in The Reason for God, which is a great book as well, if you would like to pick that up, but he talks about how um, it's actually good news that we're sinners because it gives mm-hmm. us hope, because when we can admit that we're sinners, when we can admit that we're flawed and imperfect, it gives us room to to seek forgiveness, to to give forgiveness, and to submit to God's will over our lives because we know that we're not in control. So, So I love that. Yeah, that's, that's good. That spin that you just took on it too, like it, it's not so negative. Like the, there's hope in this, and that's. I mean, that should be one of our the greatest stories mm-hmm. that we tell as followers of Jesus Christ is is the hope that we find in Jesus. And I hope that we don't always go to that negative. Yeah, place. that's
0: good. I I don't think like historically as a church, I don't think like church history wise, the church has done a good job. Of positioning sin, because I, I think a lot of non Christians, as you said, they do they do they when they think of Christians, they are thinking of judgment. They're thinking of people who um, are down on other people or judgmental of other people because of all the sin that they see, in, either in themselves or around the world. And so it's it's depressing. It's low. It's kind of it is kind of hopeless when they when they see Christians because of the way we've postured our stance on sin. Yeah. Um, and being so judgmental, um, which the, the church has struggled with and hypocritical. Right. Um, as opposed to, like you said, acknowledging sin within us, clearly, being more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think the church has struggled with that. I think we all struggle with that as being... I think we want to diminish, and we, we, we have this capacity to deceive ourselves and to convince ourselves that our sin issues aren't that bad or aren't that big a deal or yeah. aren't that present, Got right? It. And so we, we when we position ourselves that way, we position ourselves as prideful to the world and, like, we have all the answers and we're judgmental as opposed to being vulnerable, being humble, and saying, hey, we are struggling just as much as everyone else, but yet we, we're able to put front and center the hope right. we have in Christ.
1: Well, that's why I think the, one of my favorite stories from Jesus is when the, the woman's caught in adultery and he, he, they're, the Pharisees or the religi- religious leaders are getting ready to stone her, and Jesus is like... Um, Which whoever of you is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Mm -hmm. And they all like, well, dang it, and they Mm -hmm. walk away. And and Jesus doesn't dismiss her sin, right? But he tells her to go and leave her life of sin. And it's like sin is sin, and we all have it. But the thing that I think the church has struggled with so much is being vulnerable
0: and transparent enough with people that we are flawed, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and we have this hope that it's not just hope that when Jesus comes back or when we die, we won't struggle with sin anymore, which is, is, is a big part of our hope. Yeah. But, but also, I think we can be more real with the hope we have of Christ living in us can help us now. Like we don't have to just wait for Jesus to return or to die for this, to see success. I'm going back to success though, even though we talked about, (laughs) but you know what I mean? To see progress, to see,
1: well, I think, I think that goes back to some of the things that I don't necessarily think the church has postured itself well over the course of church history, human history, is it's been very um, focused and centered around do this so that you can have eternal life mm-hmm. and not living eternal life right now, mm-hmm. not living with a kingdom mindset now where God is flowing in and through your life and you get to experience the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that comes from the Spirit— and, and how that manifests itself in your life on a daily basis. And like, that's now, and that's so much hope. Like, I don't, I don't follow Jesus because, just because he saves me from, from death, from distance from him. I follow Jesus because of what he's doing in my life right here, right now mm-hmm. in the present and, and how he's rescued me from me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's switch topics. Um, an, another item that we didn't get to get to this weekend around this topic is uh, the whole concept of how our emotional health plays into um, our patterns of behavior. Yeah, And oftentimes, we, when we get into negative patterns of behavior, it's because um, there's an emotional need that we have that we don't know how to meet that emotion- emotional need without Turning to things that are unhealthy that help soothe it temporarily, mm-hmm. um, but we're ultimately we're not fixing the emotional need we have. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure. One of the things I've noticed there's a lot of pressure in our society to not admit emotional needs because it's weak to admit, hey, I have this emotional need, um, especially for men. But I think for for women as well, um, I'll share a quick story um, about my journey. Um, so I grew up with two sisters and a mom who I would say are fairly dramatic, right? And so they would fight. They would, There was just drama in our mm-hmm. household, right, mm-hmm. between the two sisters and my mom. Um, they're upset at something or they're arguing with each other, and they all loved each other very much, but there was just high drama, right? right? And so one of the ways that that affected me was I withdrew. I'm like, I hate emotion. Like, there's just so much emotion everywhere. hmm that I'm going to withdraw to my room. I'm going to, and, and it formed in me this viewpoint of emotions. Like, I don't like emotions. Emotions are bad.
1: That's weird because you don't come across that way at all now. Like you seem like a very emotional person. Yeah, I'm, I'm high emotions. <laughs> you're <Yeah>. high emotions, <laughs> high highs, yeah, low yeah, yeah, lows for sure. all the time.
0: Uh, well, I've, I've <laughs> actually, no, I have a long way to go. You're right. But I I've, it's been a challenge for me, especially when I got married Um, I wouldn't acknowledge emotions. Mm. I would pretend like they don't exist. I'd pretend like they don't have them and it's super unhealthy. But then what was worse is I developed some unhealthy patterns of behavior that helped me cope with those emotions that I wasn't acknowledging Mm. and I wasn't dealing with. They were there. There were some gaps. There were some, there was some emotional needs that I had and I would sue them with some unhealthy patterns of behavior because I wasn't ever willing to acknowledge them Mm. or deal with them in an appropriate way. And I think for, our people, um, I think that's a fairly common story. I think we all have things, um, family of origin stuff, things that happened in our childhood or even later that have created these emotional gaps that we try to meet those emotional needs in mm-hmm. a- unhealthy ways. Yeah, there's there's two
1: things that come to mind when you, when you talk. One is when you took our staff, our, our leadership team and, and our Livermore team went through this as well. Uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and we mm-hmm. did that family of origin study. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to see like, oh, the reason I have that tendency is because of how I was brought up or mm-hmm. where I came from or even the tendencies of my grandparents or great-grandparents that so they were this way. And that's cycled through and funneled through the rest of my family. So there's there's that piece of it that's super interesting just to dis- to discover and, and understand about ourselves. But also the thing you talk about fulfilling... The, the need and admitting like I love what I shared in the sermon about the quote from Simone Veil that all sins are attempts to fill voids mm-hmm. and it's simple and profound and we all know that but like it gives so much I guess um, like it brings clarity to it like this is you're trying to do something to fill a void that has been created since the beginning of time and there's only one thing that will fill that void but the more you try and fill it with these other things the more this this need and this this gap arises. And that's where you see, like, Mm -hmm. the emotional uh, connections to these things Mm -hmm. really develop
0: and it's not healthy.
1: Yeah, it's not healthy.
0: I mean, I'm a I'm a big believer. You know this. I believe everyone should go to counseling Mm -hmm. and have a counselor, have therapy, even if you're not super jacked up and you feel like I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I still think it's fascinating to learn and to dig into your family of origin how your childhood shaped you why you do things the way you do like even if you're not approaching it with the mindset of like i have something i need to fix just yeah. just learning and growing in that way is is super beneficial but there's been a stigma in our culture around yeah. if you go to a therapist like you're pretty screwed up like you're you're rock bottom
1: yeah well i think that's something you and i've talked about this before about how like even with the church as we look at the generations that are coming up counseling is normal. Yeah. Like it's just something you should be part of your part of your rhythm. Yeah. Whereas my parents' generation, it was like, and they are counselors and they would say the same things you are, but people that they connect with in their generation, in their circle would go, oh, you're in counseling. Like, are you going to be okay? Right. Yeah. No, we're, this is really healthy and good for us. So it'll be interesting even to see how the church goes, even as we lead a church staff, like we're gonna have to probably increase our counseling budget for mm-hmm. for different areas because this is it's so necessary and so helpful and so healthy and it's and the stigma is
0: slowly being detached from all this mm-hmm. so that's a good thing it's yeah very much a good thing um, all right the the other thing um, that we didn't get to get, you didn't get to get to in the sermon we I mean it's a group effort we we all we all put time into yeah. that not as much as you but. <laughs> um, the concept of confession and how confession is a really big component, of, uh, such an important practice when it comes to dealing with sin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to you want to talk about that, or I can I can jump in on that one, like how you see yeah, confession playing a role well, in all of this? I mean, the
1: whole message could have gone that direction, right? right.
0: It could have gone to a
1: repentance message, and the reason. I mean, it's interesting when you're developing and crafting these sermons. I taught on that during our Isaiah series, which was, I think, last summer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was last summer. And so I I felt like I had just taught on it, you Mm -hmm. know. And that whole idea of turning would have fit really well with this direction Mm -hmm. mentality and direction idea. And that's what repentance is, is to turn. And I just didn't end up going... Down that road, and feel like that's where God was leading me for this as well. And so, but there is something significant to coming forward and confessing the things that you're struggling with, and confessing your sin, and saying to people that you trust, and and uh, you're going through life with like this is a struggle. And then, like if we read the scripture, you'll see this is that's where healing come from comes mm-hmm. from.
0: So, one of the things that that I've noticed in in people that I talk to or in myself is that. I'll tend to confess to God, right? In my prayer time, um, I'll have moments where I'm like, hey, God, I suck. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. um, please forgive me. And um, so that that's easier for me. It's uh, confessing it to other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's where most of us struggle to do that. And that, that's pretty normal mm-hmm. for all of us. But for me, that's where the, the, the real power is, is when yeah. I tell someone I trust Hey, I'm struggling with this, or this is this has been difficult for me. Um, my power to then overcome like becomes real. Like now, I have a chance to overcome. Whereas before, when I kept it be- just between me and God, which still keeps it in the dark. Yeah. Like it's my way of keeping it hidden and in the dark. It still has complete control over me. Mm-hmm. It- it's not until I I fully bring it out into the light where other people can inspect it. Yep. And the Bible's pretty clear that light kills uh-huh. sin uh-huh. and darkness allows sin to fester and to grow. And so the spiritual practice of taking this thing where you say, why can't I stop doing this? I know I shouldn't do it. Who have you told, like, mm. who do you trust? Who's in your life? Who's God put around you who you could say, Hey, can we talk because I need to bring this out into the light. Um, and hopefully we're the type of church and you're in a type of community group. Um, where there are people around you who are going to empathize with that, they're going to be, they're going to immediately surround you with love and compassion, and not like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I can't believe you have that struggle, right? Well, Which is our fear, right? We're going to get rejected, we're going to get denied if like if so and so finds out about this. Yeah.
1: Well, that's my hope in prayer for our church would be in those community groups and in those circles that there would be equal parts grace and truth, like that people would be gracious and be able to empathize and say, I'm sorry with your struggle, but they would also hold us accountable. Yes. Like I love that part of, of Hebrews where the author writes, uh, to not give up meeting together, it's so many are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that idea of spurring someone, like mm-hmm. you ride a horse, and you're, I don't ride horses, but I imagine that a spur doesn't feel good mm-hmm. on a horse. And sometimes when someone corrects us or kind of spurs us or push us pushes us, it doesn't feel good, but it moves us toward what God intends. And that's my hope and prayer for for our communities.
0: Yeah, that's a hope and prayer for, for all of us, right? Yeah. And um, so, well, um, hopefully this has been helpful for you as we uh, as we dive into this topic um, and gives you more to think about and pray about and process as we all try to grow and take our next step with Jesus together. Um, next week is week four of um, our You Ask For It series, and Pastor Steve Madsen is going to be preaching on... I believe we're phrasing this, is the church anti-woman? Um, and so we're going to be talking about women in leadership roles, yeah. um, in the church, in society. What's the Bible's viewpoint on that? Yep. Um, what does the Bible really say about that? How do we interpret that? And then um, how does that play out in the church mm-hmm. and in, in all of society? And And what should the church's posture regarding this topic be? So there's a lot there. It's going to yeah. be... absolutely (laughs) fascinating um i know he's put a lot of work in this already and so i'm I'm excited about where he goes and so next week's uh podcast youtube episode um we'll have pastor steve on and uh, we'll get to dive in deeper into that topic so we're looking forward to that so we'll talk to you later thanks